This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Art of Charm podcast, a show designed to help you communicate with power and become unstoppable on your path from hidden genius to influential leader. We know you have what it takes to reach your full potential, and each and every week, we share with you interviews and strategies to help you transform your life by helping you unlock your X Factor. Whether you're in sales, leadership, medicine, building client relationships, or looking for love, We got what you need. You shouldn't have to settle for anything less than extraordinary. I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Let's kick off the show. Today, we have two compassion and anger experts with us. The first one is Dr. Isabel LaBeouf. She's a clinical psychologist and an expert in love and compassion. In her private practice in France, she integrates hypnotherapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, and compassion-focused therapy. And she's accompanied by Chris Frazier. Chris has been helping children, individuals, and families to be the best versions of themselves for over 25 years. He and his wife, Heather, co-authored the book, Freedom, How Teens Can Use Mindful Compassion to Thrive in a Chaotic World and Grow a Purpose-Driven Life. Welcome to the show, Dr. Isabel and Chris. We're so excited to have you. On the show, we talked and brought up compassion and self-compassion before, but is it fair to say that the opposite end of the spectrum is anger? And that's a subject that we haven't really touched on on this podcast. So I'd love to unpack that and and the relationship between the two as you both see it. So we'll start with you, Isabel. Yes, maybe we can start with unpacking anger because uh, there's a lot of wisdom in anger. And as we said previously, we can have different reactions to anger. We are all very familiar to it. It's in our everyday life, like when we're in the traffic or waiting in line or having a discussion about different things. We can uh, easily feel angry or meet anger in other people. And it's something we feel very familiar about. So we think we know what anger is, but we really can get more wisdom by understanding the setting that creates anger. I mean that it's always when we are reaching for a goal and there's something blocking us. And when we feel this block, we start experiencing anger. We can see it in uh, babies, for example, when they're very small, if they are trying to reach for a toy and you block them by the hips and they will start expressing anger. You can try it if you have a baby at home. It's, It's really quite easy to do. Yeah, you could tick them off pretty quickly, get in the way, yeah. (laughs) Yes. 
And I think it's important to understand this because uh, when we see that, we can see that behind these goals, there are also motivations and even values that are behind that. And may, many people, very often, we don't see clearly what our goals are. We, we have uh, motivations, but we are taken by the situation. And often people say, oh, I don't really know who I am. But uh, really what they can say, what they could say, what they mean is that they they don't know what their values are and they don't want uh they don't know exactly what they want and is there a difference between anger towards the dog or johnny versus anger towards yourself because i know i've had those moments where i get angry and frustrated with my own behaviors and actions and does that map the same when it's internal as external Exactly. It exactly maps the same because very often we get angry at ourselves because we don't meet our goals. If, for example, I tell myself, oh, I want to do that today and maybe I, I make a to-do list and I have five things. If I do four, I may get angry because something got in the way. But if I don't allow myself to express this anger, I will turn it to on myself and very often it's the beginning of an inner talk that is uh, angry and that is uh, difficult because uh, we can yell at ourselves on the inside. Sometimes people tell you the, the inner talk they have, but they don't tell you the tone of the voice that they have. I think for a lot of people, they get a bit confused. And for a lot of the examples that you had given, I see a lot of frustration in that before I see anger. So where is the point where frustration turns into anger? And, and what are the signs that we should be looking for to know, well, I'm in frustration. If I don't handle this, I'm going to be in anger. And if I am in anger, okay, now how should I channel this? That's such a great point. Because if you can notice when you're frustrated, bring in that mindful awareness. Mindfulness, this means noticing. And you're sort of stepping back from your city, like you're noticing, like, man, I'm getting frustrated. And noticing that as soon as that, at that moment, you're going to feel some physiology. You're going to feel like, oh, that dog. And so you're going to notice what shows up. And if you don't catch it early, it's like that old saying, nip it in the bud, catch it early. Because if you stay with that too long, before you know it, You'll get diarrhea of the mouth, like I tell the teens, watch it, because all of a sudden, you'll flip your lid and you'll say some things, you know, that later, once you calm back down, that you really regret. Because it doesn't matter if it's your grandmother, you know, like some of these teens will be uh, arguing with their parent and uh, be really frustrated. And then they'll be stewing in their mind, like, I can't believe mom took my car keys away. And then unbeknownst to them, grandma you know, it's over and it's about to knock on the door and say, hey, honey, it's time for dinner. And you throw a spear, F you, you piece of, and then all of a sudden the grandma goes, oh, oh, grandson. And before you know it, you just lost it. And your IQ goes down about, I think it's about anywhere from 30 to 50 IQ points. Because when you're angry and fighting for your life, you're not supposed to do long division. You're not supposed to be articulate. And you really just, 
are playing with this like this part this is how big the amygdala the part of your brain behind your ears the emotional part of our brain is very powerful but but not wise and all of us here i'm looking at you guys and all of us listening have all run the red light and jumped from frustration into anger and then acted out on it and we've hurt people every one of us and it's really not our fault, but what we want to talk to you about in this podcast is how it can become our responsibility and how, as we look into anger and quiet, there's some needs that many times aren't being met, but it's our responsibility with compassion, kindness, and understanding to learn how we can do things differently. And if we have hurt people, to have the courage to turn back and what John Gottman and the John Gottman's lovely man from uh, University of Washington, one of the top marriage and family specialists, repair and come back i'm so sorry i was and the more repair attempts made the healthier relationships are because that's part of our common humanity we're all going to do it whether we like it or not stop hold it right there pause this episode and answer these questions are you tired of inconsistent results are you dating who you want to be dating are you where you want to be in your career do you have the proper roadmap to get you where you need to go If you're tired of wasting time and tired of seeing other people effortlessly build their dream lives while you work twice as hard with fewer results to show for it, perhaps it's time to get the guidance, skills, and accountability you need to unlock that next level. In our X-Factor Accelerator, you'll be developing the tools to communicate powerfully, cultivate unstoppable confidence, and be held accountable by a community of high-value members, mentors, and coaches. This is no ordinary community or group. Each and every member has been selected and vetted to make sure that your experience is incredible. That's right, AJ. Our members are driven, knowledgeable, and dedicated to advancing their lives and the lives of the community. They are CEOs, professionals, entrepreneurs, servicemen. So come join the fun. Don't just take our word for it. If at the end of the program you feel it has not transformed your life, let us know and you get your money back. We are in the results business. Over the last 15 years, we've transformed thousands of lives, and we want to do the same for you. If implementing concepts from this show has enhanced your life, imagine what mentorship in the X Factor Accelerator could do for you. Unlock your own X Factor and become extraordinary. Apply today at unlockyourxfactor.com. That's right. Pause this show. Head over to unlockyourxfactor.com to apply today. And when we think about anger in popular culture, and and maybe some of these are myths and misconceptions that we could really talk about, you know, we're given advice on let it out, right? Just scream at the top of your lungs, punch the pillow, get it out of your system. You hear that time and time again. And I was sharing this earlier. That's not how I process anger. I tend to turn inward and withdraw even more, which certainly angers my partner, Amy. What is the healthy way to process that anger? If we've gone beyond frustration, our arousal is through the roof, and we're in that angry state, what's the healthiest way for us to overcome that, to work through it? Actually, research have shown that uh, it's more efficient to get involved in pleasurable uh, activities than to uh, express the anger, uh, like you were saying. And so when I was a young therapist, I gave a kid my old punching bag. And now I'm like, oh, my God, I, I helped him practice anger. Because what's he thinking about? He's not thinking about, oh, love. He's thinking, next time this happens, I'm going to knock this son of a out. 
And, but it's so embedded. And so it's noticing when you're getting asked. And yes, you can exercise and that, that, but it, sometimes it makes you feel really powerful. And so I call it when you get really drunk on anger, it's, uh, it's like you feel powerful. And also it makes you feel right. It's like hardening of the categories. Like you just see, you can't see anything over here. And it's, and you just lose it. And we become less compassionate when we're angry. And we, and we don't have the ability to take perspective of each other. Um, but a lot, it's been built in. You know, I feel strong. And there's other ways of, of being strong, which we'll tell you about when it comes to uh, anger and compassion and self-compassion. And in my situation, when I find myself in that fight mode and I'm withdrawing, I, I would assume that's also not a great way to process it. It leads to rumination. It means, leads to me dwelling on it further, catastrophizing, creating stories that aren't even based in reality. And of course, then I can't complete tasks. I can't show up fully uh, in a social gathering. I, it's lingering. So if you're someone who maybe is the opposite end of the spectrum, who doesn't look for the punching bag, doesn't look for the horn to honk in the car, but instead turns inward, how can we process anger in a healthy way if that is our default mode? Well, that's, that's me, AJ and Isabel. You're going to help out in this one because I'll, get, I'll, I'll be a little vulnerable here. I had a father who's a very well-known psychologist, but also would flip his lid pretty quickly. And so when I get angry, I'm sort of scared of it. So I turn inward and I'll ruminate and I'll get submissive and then I'll get frustrated. And that, and then the anger, because I couldn't confront my dad on it. And dad, if you're listening, we've had this talk, (laughs) then I'll attack myself since I couldn't get angry with him. And then it's over my lifetime. So now I'm trying to find that space, you know, so like if you act on anger and become aggressive, that's not really helpful. But if you become submissive and turn it in on yourself, so we're trying to find a middle of assertion of needs and values. And it also takes courage and practice. In order to practice, you have to have self-compassion because you're going to screw up as you do this. We've talked about compassion and and self-compassion. Is there a difference between the two? Well, no, that's a great question because there's, you know, if we think about compassion, I want to break it down to a a specific sort of definition. There's two pieces of it. You know, the way Isabel and I are looking at compassion, it's a sensitivity to suffering within ourselves, but also others. And then there's an action piece to it with a commitment to alleviate it or prevent it. So it's not just this thing. It's more of a verb. And so self-compassion is really noticing that, that first part, of that awareness of suffering that's going on. And what we usually don't do is even notice, you know, it's like, hey, are you okay? What do we do? I'm good. I'm fine. You're missing a limb. Oh, it's okay. You know, it's, it's, I'm, right, I'm right-handed. It's okay. But to turn towards your suffering is self-compassion. So if I did ask something here with, so AJ, just to give you an example. So there's three different flows of compassion. So one thing is, is like if I see you and you almost get hit by a car and you fall down, I'm going to like pull you out of the street. And that's one flow, compassion for other people. Like, whoa, man, AJ, that was pretty scary, man. And then another flow is, uh, so if you put your, so I want you guys, if you're willing to play a little bit, if you think about someone you love, you mentioned your wife, AJ, 
And so imagine she's hurting and you put your hand, if you could reach to the camera like I am, and put your hand on her cheek. And she's hurting in a way that you know it's really hard for her. And she's hurting. And you're noticing that compassion for her. And you're looking at her. And then imagine, you know, that Amy's got her hand on your cheek and says, I know your pain too. And then that's you receiving that. And then your hand on your heart is noticing your own suffering. So there's sort of those three different flows. And usually it's a lot easier to help somebody else than to either receive it or give it to yourself. Because how are we taught to be nice? Be nice to other people. Do unto others. But, but for ourselves, you know, we are so hard on ourselves. So if I say, I'm going to say three words. Those of you watching and listening, I want you to try this out. Imagine that, don't pick a big, something that you, you perceived you failed at. Something that's really important to you. And you perceived you failed at it. And then you hear these three words. I'm whole, complete, and enough just as I am. Just notice what pops up into your mind. I'm whole, and you just messed up, complete, and enough just as I am. That, just notice that. You can write it down. You just become aware of it. And I know it still sometimes shows up for me, but what showed up for you guys, AJ or Johnny, Isabel? Well, I think for me, the, the challenge is guilt and shame was used as a way to motivate and discipline me as a child. Yes. Yeah, me too. I feel safer and more comfortable if I have some level of guilt or shame tied to behavior. Yeah. So I don't extend that compassion towards myself. You got it, man. You got it. Yes. And it's been something that I've had to work through personally. And I think because of that, you know, it's much easier for me in that vision to think about sending compassion towards Amy, my fiance, or sending compassion towards someone who just tripped and fell in in front of a, a car, but to turn it around on myself and say, AJ, you're whole after I just screwed up. AJ, you're complete after I just made a mistake and did something that I didn't want to do, didn't meet my expectations, that's a much greater challenge for me to overcome. For myself, I mean, I, I, I couldn't help but think about an old Saturday Night Live character named Stuart Smalley. I'm smart <laughs> good enough, enough and, I'm good enough, and gosh darn it. People, people like, like yeah, <laughs> exactly. So sadly, yeah, that, that level of self-compassion is even humorized in pop culture right? As you're weak or you're soft or you're not tough enough or resilient. So it has, it often has a negative connotation. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own Fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 
up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Now think about that, that negative connotation. It does, and it's not our fault. So let's think about a, a fireman running in to save a child, and they're scared. But that sensitiveness, they're going in there to save a life. Or a COVID-19 you know, nurse or doctor who's willing to be there, and we never call them. But in our culture, we've equated that to weakness or being self-indulgent or pity. But... What showed up for me when I first did that, there was a guy, Kelly Wilson, one of the founders of Acceptance Commitment Therapy, and Kelly did that. And what, when he said, he said, I'm perfect just as I am. And I, my mind said, bullshit, you're not, you, you know, you're not perfect, you suck. And do you tell a little kid who's learning to walk, you suck, give up walking. And the kid will never say, I guess this walking's just not for me then. You know, you know, we're resilient, but we all do this. It's just like, and we're in, and it's not our fault, but when we become aware, then we have a choice. Well, I think in a lot of us, it's striving 
and looking to become a top performer to meet our own expectations. And if they are high, it can be challenging to hear self-compassion. I could see would lead some people to believe, well, isn't that going to mean I'm, I'm taking it too easy on myself. I'm slacking off. I'm, I'm letting myself off the hook by saying I'm already perfect as I am. I'm complete. When the goal is just here, it's just a little bit further ahead. I'm not at the goal. It sounds counterintuitive. So what do you say to our audience members who are like, self-compassion sounds like I'm just taking it easy on myself. I want to add to that as well. I, I, and AJ, perhaps you remember the interview that we did, but we were discussing um, these ideas culturally where in America, and, and, and it's even separated from the West in France and in Europe, where America in its culture, in its DNA of this self-reliant and you and I growing up in, in Midwest industry household, factory households, where no matter what you were feeling, it's stiff upper lip and you, you go in and we call it grinding. It's not about anything. Grinding means no matter what you're feeling, you deal with it and you push through. Now, AJ mentioned that, and this would lead to some outbursts from his father. I could definitely tell you uh, it was the same in my household. I certainly have many memories of my dad flying off the handle. And I just thought that was part of being a dad and grew up accepting that idea. And, and I would even say that for a lot of my, myself, when we were discussing how does this affect us, I and this is probably I've gotten from my dad where I've channeled for, for the good parts, at least as I'm older, the good parts of anger in the fuel. Whereas in, when I was younger, I allowed that anger as fuel to be, to lead to destructive patterns and behaviors. Whereas I've learned, gotten older, I've learned how to use it for the fuel that I, I needed to be to propel me forward and then channel my, emotions and and focus and constructive patterns yeah our conversation with bruce feller we we talked about this exact narrative that's that's built into the american dream and how we are taught to grind and hustle and work hard regardless of our station in life because just the other side of that is success is the white picket fence is all of this and i'm i'm picturing myself let's say sixth or seventh grade coming home with a couple A minuses and a B plus on my report card, my dad staring across from me at the kitchen table and me telling him, dad, I'm complete. I'm perfect as I am, right? There's no way my dad would respond in agreement to those statements, right? <laughs> so those expectations have followed me. I came home with that report card. We were going to the Sizzler that night and there would be a party going on. I'm just telling you. <laughs> You guys, you guys, I'm in Ohio, man. I'm in the Midwest and, you know, and from Dayton where the big GE factory was. So all my friends and my dad, you know, was, you know, he, uh, what you're talking about is so right. Rugged individualism, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, the stuff we were even taught in history class. So when we take this, this fierce compassion, I want to add fierce. It's like standing up to that part of you and yeah, you're whole complete, you're perfect, but really it's an inner criticism. You can grind for so long, but what happens when you burn out? What I mean, it's like the carrot, you know, is it not the carrot? It's the whip. 
And after a while, you just say, I don't give a shit. I'm burnt out. I'm coked out. I'm, I'm tired. I pushed. Oh. And that is like when we find that moment where we can turn inwards and have a different relationship with ourselves. Usually, and it's, it's those come to, to Jesus or Allah Buddha moments when you go, oh, God, I have lost it. I am at the end of my rope. I freaking hate. I remember saying I hate myself once. You know, and it's like, ouch. You wouldn't say any of that. I mean, some of the shit we say, stuff we say to ourselves, we would never say to anybody. And then I get fired up when it comes to this, guys. So, Isabel, please jump in before I just, you know, my head pops off or something. Yeah, so so let help help us here, Isabel, because I I can tell you myself, I've expressed that self hatred, and when I hear self love, my eyes kind of roll and I glaze over, and it's been a conversation I've had in my men's group that I I can't even remember a time where I just bathed in self love and I really looked at myself and said, AJ, you are complete, you are good enough, and when I look at it externally, I'm like, well. I've been able to achieve great things in life because of this burning desire and this feeling of being incomplete. And then when I hear this self-compassion and I think about self-love, I really struggle with it. And AJ, I want to add to that as well. And where those feelings are, and you have that opportunity to turn inward and be compassionate, for a lot of folks, it is rather than that, it's the fine escapism. And so to sink into computer games or a movie or anything rather than having to come face to face with themselves. And and that's why I wanted to thank you both and also Chris for sharing, because that's where the compassion starts, really. Uh, When we are sharing, we are not anymore in the competition. We are uh, human beings. And this experience of being self-critical is painful. We all know it. We feel it. But sometimes we feel alone with that. And that's loneliness that is uh, really killing us on the inside. And so by expressing it to ourselves, by saying, oh, I'm being hard on myself, or by sharing it with others, it's really already self-compassion. Self-compassion is based on three things. It's based on awareness It's based on shared humanity. Uh, I'm not alone with this suffering. I'm not the only one who hates myself. I'm not the only one who has pain in my body, who has unmet unmet desires, etc. And it's also being kind with ourselves in this situation. Because yes, this is cultural and we are in a very competitive world. And of course, uh, we want to succeed. We want to, to be the, the, the first one. But really, competition is not something that is excluding compassion. When you look at uh, great achievers, Uh, Research shows that they have very high levels of self-compassion, really. Why is that? It is because to achieve difficult things, you need to go over mistakes. You need to keep your motivation, even if you fail. Someone who succeeds is not something, someone who succeeds the first time, is someone who fails again and again and again and keeps the motivation and keeps the goal. And to do that, we need to be able to self-heal, to welcome this, uh, this uh, difficult moment and to go beyond. 
So really competition is uh, something that uh, creates a fear of compassion, but it's not something that excludes compassion. We really can have both and succeed. It's such an interesting point because when I think about the failures, it whether it's dieting or whether it's in your career or in your hobbies or your passions or pursuit, it's those are going to be there. And if you don't have a level of self-compassion, well, you'll quit the diet. You'll go back to eating poorly. You'll quit the workout and not go back to the gym. You'll you'll quit your job and walk away from it. So it does take a level of self-compassion to overcome failure. And we know, as we've talked to almost 900 guests on the show, that a failure is a big part of them unlocking their X factor and achieving great things in their life. So we talked a little bit about core values earlier, but I'd love to circle back on how core values really come into the equation when it comes to self-compassion. And some in our audience still struggle with just the concept alone of like finding their core values. So as both of you give a chance to unpack core values for our audience, I'd love to hear your own journey in finding and defining your core values. I have an example of using anger to find one of my values. It's, it's an old story, actually. It was 20 years ago. I was an intern in a psychiatric ward and there was so much suffering there, and I I kept working after the day was over. I, I kept reading the files, and I was searching and searching for meaning. How could so much people suffer? And this really was feeling very unfair to me that to see these people in uh, in so difficult situations. I felt anger, more and more anger. And at some point I was walking in the field and I felt on my knees and I really let the anger out and I started screaming, why, why? And then all of a sudden I had this uh, flip in my head and I realized that it was not up to me to decide what the world uh, was going to, how the world would be organized and what was the meaning of the world. And maybe the world was unjust, but I had to learn from this world and learn the, the rules and the laws that, that I could understand. And really, this uh, flip of understanding the world was uh, was really important in my work because in therapy, we meet suffering every day and we always try to make sense of suffering. We always want to know why is this people sick and, and maybe this person has cancer because they smoke. And we feel relieved because it makes sense and we have control of the situation. But it's not that simple. It's never that simple. And I learned to work with unknowing. And really, it is one of my core values to make room for the unknown in my work when I meet suffering. So that was through anger that I made that value. Wow, I wouldn't have expected to to think of anger as something that could help us find that core value. But that, that example really resonates with me too. I think, again, in Western culture, especially, we tend to label anger as a bad emotion, a negative emotion. 
And it's very hard to find anything positive about it. So for you to be able to flip it on its head, I think that's a very useful exercise for those in our audience who might be struggling to identify core values that don't just pay attention to the quote unquote positive emotions that we talk about, happiness, joy, excitement, enthusiasm, but also look at some of the negative emotions and those could be a guiding light towards uncovering that core value for you. What about you, Chris? What has been your journey in discovering your core values? It's interesting because as Isabel says that, you know, it made me reflect, you know, one of the reasons I became a therapist was because uh, when I was very young in school, you know, I had dyslexia, inattentive type ADD and learning disability. And so like feeling so sad and so like misunderstood, putting coat closets so I could pay attention and then falling asleep on the ditto papers and waking up and being shamed and the anger. And I remember saying, somebody needs to do something about this. There's such a lack of compassion and understanding and care. And I remember uh, my dad and mom in graduate school arguing and my mom crying and slamming the door and crawling up on her bed and rubbing her back as a four-year-old. It's okay, mom. And wanting to bring peace. And wanting to create harmony within the world and relationships. And that little boy and that instinct of a child to try to help their mom. And that's just instinct. You know, you don't want them to suffer. And to relieve suffering and, and with other people and not have people go through. And I said, somebody needs to sit in that freaking therapy chair who's been through this. I about dropped out of school a billion times. And that core value of hope going beyond what your mind and other people said is even possible for you. People go, you're on a podcast, you wrote a book. And I was like, yeah, I wrote a book, but I had to ask for help. So what? It's that that's out of the suffering, out of the anger, out of some of those difficult moments, you know, came these core values of hope, of kindness, of going beyond what's in, in, in using, transforming my anger instead of just being stuck with it. So that's, and I could go on, uh, but that's, that's sort of my story. And I, I try to go back and get in touch with that because it's so easy to forget. And as we hold our core values, it can really guide us in those moments of distress when we think we can't go on. And I can go back to that little kid and say, hey, man, I'm doing this for you, buddy. I got you. I got you. You're shitting yourself before this podcast. I got you. You're all right. You got stuff to say. You know, you're all right, man. Because my core value, like I'm willing to do uncomfortable stuff for those other people like me. And I think with that journey and understanding that there's going to be that inner conflict, those internal struggles, the other side of all the goals, all the things that we're reaching for, it still can be difficult to stay motivated, to have the discipline to follow through on the things that really matter with you. And I know many in our audience, especially over the last year plus, have really struggled on the resilience front. And quitting and giving up is is something that many don't want to do, but are really pulled in that direction. So as we tie up self-compassion and, and start to bring it towards solving those inner conflicts, you know, what can we learn from compassion-focused therapy to, to help those in the audience who are allowing that internal conflict to get the best of them? This is a hard thing to hear, but, you know, we've been so hard on ourselves for so long. And if you think about your inner critic and imagine what it looks like, for me, it's a big dark cloak figure with a finger in your face. It's pointing. 
And what's it want to do to me? It wants to slam me against the wall and say, get your act together. And so that part of us, you know, it's like a misguided angel, man. It wants for us, but it really, in time, to be able to, to care for yourself, to, you know, to, and it's not letting yourself off the hook. It's like tanking with kids. It's like tank your, it's like putting courage into yourself. I'm going to deal with the itty bitty shitty committee. Yes, you can be there, but I'm going to do value oriented stuff. You can just sit on my back and be there as I continue, but you're not going to beat me. You're not going to kick me. You're not going to spit in my face. I know you're trying to help, but I don't need that kind of help. And that goes on in our heads. I don't care who you are. You got this going on. And people aren't going to tell you because they don't want to feel weird. But everybody has that little itty-bitty thing going on. And so experiment with it. Because there's fears and blocks, you know. Uh, but experiment. Just, just experiment. So there's three little steps. When you're going towards something important and you're getting hijacked. I call it getting hijacked. Whether it's anger, despair, inner criticism. is one, get mindful. Slow it down and name it. What's showing up? Just naming it. Because usually we don't even know, oh, I'm angry. Or my inner critic's getting to me. And then soothe it. Slow it down. Slowing the breathing down slows body and mind down. So when you slow it down, it gives you some space. You know, because usually we, we just, you know, the horse takes you home and you're back to that same behavior. Slow it down. So if we were just now, just to breathe in, three out, three. And then even whisper, like slowing down, slowing down. All right, your intelligence is picking up. You're having a little moment. And then that gives you that space. Because when you're calm, you're going to look at things different. When you're under threat, you're just going to see the crap. So when you slow down, you're going to have like, you know, Elton John glasses on. You're going to see more. And then soothe it. Now move it. What can I take a step, even a small step, towards my core values? Even as you change your posture, because usually we're mad, we get down or we get beat down, we cry. Change your physiology. All right. What's the next right thing? If you're struggling with alcohol, what's the next right thing? If you're struggling with anger, sadness, anxiety, what's the next right thing as, as my best self? I might not be my best self, but let me let it be there. Let me move towards a core value, even if it's small, even if it's, I do two push-ups after this because I haven't worked out in three days. What's that next small thing? Name it. Soothe it. Slow it down. Level the breath. In three, out three, five, whatever it is. Then, and that gives you that space. Move it towards my core values. Even the microscopic step. All great change starts small. But the mind always wants big. So, I had to get my little three things. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, in that situation where that anger has harmed others, someone you care about, you love, or even a stranger, I think that that action step is the apology. It's it's owning it and allowing the other person to to feel and see that sincerity in your apology. As we wrap, this has been such a fun conversation and and so relatable in a lot of ways to both me and Johnny and our experience with it. Love to ask each one of you what you believe your X factor is. What makes you extraordinary at what you do? We'll start with you, Isabel. What is your X factor? Well, that will echo the, this discussion. I think it's self-compassion and also presence. 
giving my my attention to what I'm doing in the present moment to others and to myself. To me, it's a way to to uh, really love what I'm doing and to love the world I live in. Chris, what's your X factor? Well, over the years, I realized at first I didn't think it was an X factor at all. It's the ability to be vulnerable and sit with somebody and just be another human being and not try to fix them and not try to fix me, just to be vulnerable and show up. And then I think it actually as that little kid to be sensitive to that suffering, to be a little that shows up, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to try to freaking help you. I might not be enough, but I'm going to freaking try. My mind can say that. And that courage to go into those places and try to help. And then that passion and playfulness, like we're going to go in, we're going to freaking play. It's messy. It's yucky. I got shit. You got shit. Let's do it. And I'm going to lead with my heart. So that's my X factor. I love that. And I think it's so relatable. There's something important there as well, which is going into it and with uh, those relationships rather than trying to fix people, trying to help people. I think because both of those actions are going to result in completely different behaviors, believing the person that you're dealing with and and then a completely different space. And I I believe if if you're going trying to fix them, you're going to be met with a lot of resistance when if you're trying to help them, they're going to be more open to those ideas. Johnny, thank you. We're all sunsets to be admired, not to be fixed, man. We're just, we don't need to be fixed. We're not freaking broken. We're doing what we can. And for those in our audience who are looking to overcome their anger or to cultivate self-compassion, I know you guys are working on some pretty fun things. So where can we send our listeners to to find out more about what you're teaming up to do? Isabel? You can uh, connect with my uh, my website, joycompassion.com. She has a great website. It's very cool. Check 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 it out. And we're doing a uh, we're doing in January. We're doing a wonderful workshop called Anger, Power, and Love. And New Year's resolution: Join us. It's uh, Isabel and my friend out there in San Francisco, Jiang Chu, and it's for the public. I've only done stuff for other professionals. They already know this. Come and join us. It's experiential. You just got to taste a little bit of what today, of what we'd be doing. But please join us. It, it's a really special thing. And I, I'm really glad to be presenting it for these. And we're going we're gonna to go in. And we're just like in everything you heard today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to. And so Anger, Power, and Love in January. It'll be on Isabel's website, which is a pretty cool website. Awesome. Thank you both for joining us and sharing your story and getting vulnerable with our audience. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, AJ and Johnny. Thank you. Johnny, growing up, I had a lot of guilt and shame around anger, and I haven't often channeled it in productive ways. So it was so great to unpack how we manage anger and keep frustration from boiling over. Yeah, it's one of those emotions I think that a lot of us shy away from. But if you want to get a hold on it and overcome it, you're going to have to embrace it. This week's shout out goes to Eric, who's now hosting events to solidify his networking opportunities with great success. Eric is an X Factor Accelerator member, and he's been using our patented social sales funnel strategy to bring people together. 
Now, in the past, Eric didn't want the hassle, and he thought of himself as too introverted to host an event. But when you make things happen, well, you can't wait around and hope someone else makes it happen for you. For someone who's an introvert, it's not about being the center of attention or shining the spotlight on themselves, but creating value for others to enjoy themselves with you being that catalyst. Eric grabbed the bull by the horns and now is excited to continue with even more events. He feels in control of making the most of his networking opportunities, and he's already seeing results. Way to go, Eric. Would you love to join a community of high-value people cheering you on as you tackle your goals? Well, join us today in the X Factor Accelerator. You can apply at unlockyourxfactor.com. That's right. Pause this show and go to unlockyourxfactor.com to apply today. Also, could you do us and the entire Art of Charm team a big favor? Could you head on over to iTunes and rate and review this podcast? It means the world to us, and it helps others find this show and gets us great guests. The Art of Charm podcast is produced by Michael Harold and Eric Montgomery. Go out there and have a fantastic week.